Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Ancheamet Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Devarim, Justifying the Conquest of Israel. Where are the silver platters? Do you ever think about the fact that when the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, was created, that the Jewish people had to go to war in order to settle the land, in order to find a place. And the war was a horrific one, war of independence. And that it, in some ways parallels the period of Moses and the children of Israel entering the land. When they entered the land, the promised land, the land that God gave us, they were going to have to fight for that land as well. Do you ever wonder why God just doesn't give us the land? Why God just doesn't say, here it is, give it to us on a silver platter? Yeah, I've thought about that because obviously um, war is not something the Bible or anyone else encourages. Um, war doesn't really prove anything. And yet to have the things that are important, we often have to struggle for them. And man, I can't think of too many giant historical changes, even great liberations that occurred peacefully. It's sad to say they they very often are accompanied by violence. I think you're 100% right. And it's interesting that there was another path in the um, early annals of the 20th century. England was trying to settle Uganda. They were colonizing. And someone in England had the bright idea that, why don't we allow the Jews to colonize Uganda? And all the Jews could go and settle the land. And so it was a win-win for them. They have the Jews. They have the Jews' economic muscle. And they would be doing the British work for them. And it would be a British enclave. And this idea was taken to Herzl. And Herzl looked at it as a live option. Because remember, Herzl's approach to Zionism is um, born out of the Dreyfus affair. So he's thinking about anti-Semitism, not knowing that the Holocaust is in the offing. But he likes this idea. He's interested in the idea. And he takes it to the Zionist Congress in Basel. And there's a name for this Congress. It's called the Crying Congress. Because when Herzl presented it, the people burst into tears. That here, you know, Herzl, the great Zionist, was possibly talking about again. Now, it was taken off the table, never to be raised again. But you think about it, and you think, well, yeah, here it was. This was the opportunity to have a country or state be presented to you on a silver platter. And yet, um, you know, the reality is, is that uh, it was a very different story. And so... The land of Israel that we possess is one we have to fight for, and we're still fighting for it, and that, that idea is challenging. Yeah, I, I wonder, I, I suppose part of the reason that you can fight for um, the land of Israel as we know it today versus the land of Israel in Uganda on the African continent is that there's a, there's a greater moral compulsion there's a, there's the the feeling the argument the case to be made the the strong conviction that this is our home and if you're going to have to fight um it has to have a, a strong moral reason to to get you fighting um i don't think people would were necessarily clearly they weren't prepared to fight for for uganda because they didn't have that that emotional connection to it right and in that case we we have no historical ties 
right. to Uganda. We hear here, you know, there have been Jews living on the land of Israel since the time of the Bible. There are, you know, you all you have to do is dig anywhere in Israel, and you're going to find some sort of Jewish artifact. So it was our land, and we never gave up trying, and we returned to the land. But what a price we've paid for settling the land. Yeah, and we can yeah we continue to pay that price. Uh, we still have to defend ourselves, and we still debate whether it's appropriate to defend ourselves, um, whether um, we should be fighting anymore. And obviously, it's a very controversial issue, and you know it far better than I do. But you know, not everybody is comfortable with the way that Israel continues to defend itself, or some people would say, you know, it goes beyond defense that it's uh, become aggressive at times, right? How do you? justify the, the fact that, you, you know, you don't just have to fight to get the land, you have to fight to, to keep it because there are people eager to take it away from you. I think that you, the point that you're making is a really important one because there are growing numbers of young adults who are questioning um, whether or not it was a good decision for Jews to create their own state. And there are growing numbers of people in the Jewish community who now identify themselves not as non-Zionist, but anti-Zionist. And that's a, that's a, this is a very challenging moment because when we sit down with our children in Hebrew school or in Jewish day schools, this is, it's a complicated history that we're teaching. Because after the Shoah, what was clear was that the Jewish people could not be landless. Because when you're landless, you're vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable as a Jew, it is remarkably dangerous. And, it, and we lost one-third of every Jewish man, woman, and child during the Shoah. One-third of the Jewish people were incinerated. So that's the reality of being a Jew. And war is ugly and war is hard. And even though we have rules for war, the fight has to go on. There's one view, you know, from the United States where we have the uh, luxury of um, kind of seeing it from afar. And there's another reality for Jews living in the land of Israel. And this is creating a pretty large divide. Yeah, no question about it. And, um, you know, I think if you if you were to ask our grandparents who, you know, lived through the Shoah and were engaged in the fight to create Israel, some of us, or at least could remember it, and could could appreciate that sense of vulnerability. It's a very different feeling. Um, and you know, today, as you said, we are insulated from many of those feelings. You know, Israel has always been there, and it's a powerful nation now with sophisticated uh, technology and great military. And it doesn't feel so vulnerable. So I think it's difficult for people to um, to imagine what was at stake. I think that's right. But I want, I want to take it a step further. I'm going to say something radical. I don't think it's just a philosophic difference. I think that Israel has created, in many ways, a new and different Jew. I think, and just put it this way, my children, your children, when they get to be 16, 17 years old, they are immersed in test-taking and thinking about college and which college and how they're going to do in college. And they're also thinking about their professional careers and where they want to go. And we as parents, for better or for worse, are very much part of this process. 
if we were parents in Israel, 17, 18, we wouldn't be talking about which college our kids were going. We might be thinking about which unit of the army they were going to be in and preparing for that. I mean, just think about it for a minute. What a different reality to live with. And knowing that your children are going to go and fight and, and that in many cases, this is a really crazy thing, that your kids are going to be involved in some sort of parts of the army where they're not going to be able to even tell you what they're doing, right, or where they've been because it's classified. What a different reality. Yeah, there's no question about it. And they're also living in a place where they are familiar, imminently familiar uh, with the threat that uh, is, is not just a theoretical one. You know, they've, they've grown up with bomb shelters and with frequent attacks on, on, their, on their lives. So it's not theoretical. And here in the U.S., it's very easy for us to, to take that for granted. There's no question about it. I want to come back to something that, that I mentioned, that silver platter idea. Because when Chaim Herzog, who was the kind of Israeli representative of the United Nations in the pre-state era, said, because people were saying the same thing before Israel was created. Israel was under English control. They said that, that this, is, this is going to be a terrible war, and if there's going to be a tremendous amount of bloodshed. Well, Chaim Herzog said, well, no nation was ever given a country on a silver platter. And there was a poet in Israel. His name was Natan Alterman. And he wrote a poem that was so interesting. It's called The Silver Platter. And basically, he creates a scene where the entire state has come together in the aftermath of the war. And in this moment, a young man and woman dressed in army fatigues that are dirty and their faces are covered with um, the markings of war to the point that they couldn't even tell if they were living or dead. And the nation in tears, and here I'm quoting the poem, that a nation in tears and amazement will ask, who are you? And they will answer quietly, we are the silver platter on which the Jewish state was given. This, to me, represents the Israeli ethos, that people value their children in the same way that we do, but they all appreciate the fact that their children have to serve, that they have to fight. And again, the reality for us in America is so very different. And what I fear, Jonathan, is that we as diasporic Jews, we American Jews are going to continue to grow more and more distant from our Israeli relatives. And that, to me, is a pretty dangerous sign. Yeah, it is concerning. And I think, you know, it's an int I like the idea of thinking of it as a silver platter, because when you first say silver platter, I think of it as being a sign of privilege, right? The, uh, you're wealthy and you have this wonderful platter. But uh, th this poem suggests that we think about the silver platter as, as an inheritance, as something we must treasure and not take for granted at all that, uh, you know, we are the silver platter and we have to continue to serve as that silver platter. We have to continue to fight for what we treasure. And I think that's the challenge that we face in educating our children in religious schools is to not only be lovers of Israel, to implant with them, within them, a love of the land, the love of our history and the love of Jewish people. 
but also to be to be able to feel comfortable being critical and ask hard questions. Um, and if we're able to do that, I think we're going to find a greater balance. I think when you and I were growing up, there was never much room to be critical of Israel. Israel was always on the verge of being destroyed. I remember growing up and our rabbi, we would have um, youth services on Shabbat morning and I would go and sit in there and the rabbi would basically lecture us about why the Israelis were good and why the Arabs were bad. And I'm not, uh, this is not hyperbolic. Mm -hmm. At least I would, have, I would say in my own life, there wasn't any room to say, well, gosh, how do we explain the fact that people were displaced? This is a hard reality too. How do we manage that? How do we create justice for, for everyone if that is who we are as Jews? I think that, that we're going to have to find a better balance going forward. Yeah, fortunately, the Jews are, in general are very good at asking challenging questions and uh, challenging authority. So I think we can count on that. All right. Well, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs>